So um, today uh, is a very special day because it's Father's Day. Just like Mother's Day uh, about a month ago, today I want to talk about the legacy of a faithful man. We looked at Mother's Day at a great woman of faith. Today, the legacy of a faithful man. Now, there is a crisis, church, in our culture. There's a crisis in our culture. And no, it is not with the economy. No, it is not the war on terror or so many other things that are making headline news this morning. But the crisis that we are faced with today deals in the realm of men and fatherhood. You will not see any articles in magazines or papers being written about the epidemic that we will speak of in just a few moments. The news will do no in-depth investigation into the issue at hand. And I want to bring up for us um, to speed really on what is going on in our country and in our culture in case you are not aware. According to statistics placed out by our government, more children will be killed by other children in America this year than in any other country. More children will be killed by children. 72% of adolescent murderers were or are living in homes with no father figure. 72%. 60% of all known rapists in our country grew up in fatherless homes or absent father homes. 70% of long-term prison inmates here in America grew up in homes with no father physically or no father who was mentally or emotionally present inside those homes. There was an experiment that was done here in America that I spoke to last year in our men's devotional one year ago today. There was an experiment that happened in prisons here in America where they had men turn out to make Mother's Day cards. It was estimated that the average prison where this experiment was done that they received 90% participation from the men. The same activity was done a month later on Father's Day. There was an estimated less than 2% response for Father's Day. When the men asked these men in prisons, why didn't you make cards for your father? The bulk of the response was, I don't know who my dad is or I don't know where my dad is. Church, as we look across the family landscape of our nation. There is often a missing piece to the picture of the biblical family unit. The missing piece is often a faithful father. We're living in a time where words like men and faithful do not go well together. So many men have allowed themselves to be overtaken with selfish and sexual addiction that the very fiber of the home is being eroded away at an alarming rate. And I stand before you this morning as your pastor to tell you that society does not have the answer to the problem. We could have committee meetings all day long. Our government can attempt to legislate, but church, you cannot legislate morality in this culture. You cannot legislate holiness from the government. You can throw all sorts of money at the problem, but in the end, when the results come in, 
The situation is not getting better. In fact, it's just getting worse. Recently, the public school system that our children just started attending this year after years of homeschool asked of me to get involved in helping change a certain culture that was present in our school district. And as they began to explain the details of some positive changes that our school in Saranac wanted to see occur, I asked the administration, are the parents going to get involved? And they said, I don't think so. And in their own words, they said 80 plus percent of the parents don't care about their kids. 80% or more. And as I sat for a moment almost in awe, shocked, the only response that I could think to say back to the administration was is that if you want this culture to change and be successful, then parents have to get involved. The parents' perspective has to change Their attitude and and their actions in regards to truth has to be different. And for weeks I've been wondering how much longer it will take before we realize that as parents, and particularly fathers, that we have a God-given duty and responsibility to teach and train our children. Amen? It's not the grandparents' job. To teach and train the children. They had their turn. They had their turn. It's not the school's job. To teach and train your child. It's not even the church. No. It's the parent. It's the parent's role. The God ordained responsibility. In the Bible. Comes to the parents. Discipling their children first. Paul wrote this to dad's. In Ephesians 6, it will come to the screen. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As, as the head of the house, spiritually, the father is, in, is charged this morning with the ultimate responsibility for the way that our children are raised. In practice... This instruction is meant for both parents and would have been understood that way by Paul's readers. But fathers, fathers, listen to me this morning. Even if you have adult children, listen for just a moment. You are commanded to not agitate or irritate your children. The Greek word that we see here, provoke, is the word paragizo which implies to exasperate or to frustrate. In in practice, it means avoiding unfair or cruel behavior or blatant favoritism towards one of your kids. Godly fathers are not to push their children towards anger. I mean, we know that anger can sometimes be a healthy emotion, but oftentimes it is left unchecked and it can lead us to sinfulness. We see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. But instead... Instead, parents, especially fathers, you are given a positive command to bring your children up. To bring them up. In other words, Christians are expected to be highly involved in raising their children. And there are two specific areas. Would you go back to that verse for me? There are two specific areas that Paul mentions 
The very first one that he says to bring them up in discipline. To bring them up in discipline. Discipline in the Bible always involves learning self-control. Always. It's the ability to restrain from personal desires in order to do what is right. And, and may I just make this statement for just a moment. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child? Right? All the parents are nodding, right? I'm going to just burst your bubble for, your theological bubble for just a moment. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. It sounds like something that came from the Bible. But what, what Solomon really said was, he that spares the rod hates his son. He that spares the rod hates his son, but he that does discipline loves him. He that does discipline. And so mom, mom and dad, I'm not here to lecture you on what the form of punishment you should use, but it's very clear in scripture that it is okay to correct your child by spanking them. It is okay I think there comes a point in time where you have to change that perspective. But I can tell you right now, it has been a quite some time that, I've, that either myself or my wife has had to spank our children because they learn very quickly they don't like the way that it feels. Children need discipline. And if we go all the way to the book of Hebrews, we come to find out that discipline in one's life or the chastening of a parent in one's life brings about righteousness and holiness later. And so discipline was the first thing that Paul commanded the parent to bring their child up in. And the second was the instruction of the Lord. According to Scripture, according to Scripture, we should be involved in teaching our children about the ways of God, not just through educating them, but by example. I mean, a father trains the child he loves, Proverbs 3. A father instructs a child he loves, Proverbs 13. A father provides for his children, Proverbs 19. And as men, sitting here this morning, we need to regain the lost ground. We, we, we need to close the gap and make a difference in the lives of our homes and our communities because of our righteous living. You and I have to assume this responsibility to lead and we have to realize that we are leaving a legacy and right now the legacy that we are dealing with does not look good. And so I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read just one single verse this morning. Verse number 21. And it says, this, that by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. That's it. Just this one single verse. We see in this one single verse a man by the name of Jacob. If you've read anything about him in the book of Genesis, we know that he's not a perfect man and he's certainly not a perfect father. He made mistakes he messed up, but then again, what man or what father in here hasn't? What, ha what man hasn't? But there's one thing for sure about Jacob, that is that he loved his family. He loved his family, especially his boys. And in particular, Genesis tells us he loves the son of his old age, which was Joseph. 
Many of you know the story of Joseph, right? We looked at it a little bit last week when we covered the topic of lust. The story of Joseph is, is the jealous brothers got the best of, uh, of him and they sold him into slavery. And Joseph spends years in prison, wrongly accused after he worked for Potiphar. But he eventually becomes what I would call the prince of Egypt, the second in command. And all of these years passing, believing the lies of these boys and, and thinking that Joseph is dead and he had been eaten by wild animals. And then one day everything changes for Jacob. It all changes. His boys are sent to Egypt because they need food because of a famine. And through a series of events, they come to realize that their brother is this prince of Egypt, the one that can help them. And news comes to Jacob and he can hardly contain himself. And he begins to make his journey to Egypt. I want you to check out this verse on the screens. Genesis 46, 29 says, And Joseph made ready his chariot and he went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen. And he presented himself unto him and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. And at this point in Genesis, Jacob, who's called Israel was old. He was ready to die, and yet he lived another 17 years beyond this one point. He moves into the land, and I, I tried as a, as a parent to, to imagine what those 17 years must have been like for Jacob. What would it have been like to, to think that your child was dead for years and years and then to realize and, and find out that he's not? I mean, as a parent, I was like, if that was me, I'd want to spend every waking moment with my child to make up lost time, to get to know them, to get to know their kids and, and their wife or, or their husband, whatever it was. But then we look at this text and, and we see something special in this one single verse. Something often overlooked here. I want you to go back and reread verse 21. It says, by faith Jacob when dying. Stop right there. When dying. The legacy that Jacob left for his family, and not only his family, but a legacy of faithfulness that was left for us is this. The first note I want you to make is that Jacob was fully aware that he was dying. He was fully aware. Jacob, when he was dying, dads, can I just get your attention for a moment? Do you fully understand that the time that you have on this earth is limited? Do you understand that? Are you acknowledging the fact by the manner in which you live and love the people closest to you? Psalm chapter 90. A psalm that you would not think would be written by this individual, but it is a psalm or a prayer of Moses. And Moses says something in his prayer to God. He says, teach me to number my days that you, we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach me to number my days. Dads and even moms in here, it's so important to value the moments in the days that God has given to us. 
It's important. We cannot know what tomorrow will bring, so we ought to dedicate today and every day that God gives to us to the Lord. Should we not? Uh, I mean, we have to live sensibly and with a purpose and yet do so one day at a time. I mean, we should seek the divine wisdom for the best way to live throughout each and every day. And when you rise every morning, when God gives you the grace to get out of bed tomorrow, and he puts the breath in your lungs, we should pray exactly what David prayed when he said, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me onto level ground. Well, pastor, that was from the Old Testament. Well, what about something from the New Testament? What about another example of prayer in someone's life do we have? Well, what about Jesus? What about going to the gospel of Mark chapter 1 and it says that early in the morning before the disciples arose, Jesus rose to pray. Jesus set an example of of morning prayer that that the Christian should emulate. I mean, surely if if we considered every 24-hour period as something valuable that God has entrusted to us, wouldn't we faithfully dispense our moments in a way that honored him? Or, or shouldn't we? Shouldn't we faithfully dispense, dispense our moments in a way that honors him? For you note takers in here, I want you to write this down that until you're prepared to die, you won't know how to live. Until you're prepared to die, you won't know how to live. I mean, our our lives are so filled with stressfulness and busyness that we can easily lose sight of the fact of the things that truly matter in this life. I mean, quickly we become consumed with all that's going on and we fail to provide love and nurture and training that our children are in desperate need of. We can't afford, dads, We can't afford to give our family the leftover minutes of our life. We can't afford to give them the leftovers when we are emotionally and mentally spent. Long hours, long commutes, trying to make a lot of money normally equals a loss of a father's influence in a home. A recent survey said this, that in the typical American town, the average father spends less than 47 seconds a day with his children. Less than 47 seconds a day. Working more hours for more money does not make up for lost moments with your family. Jacob was dying. He knew it. And he lived like it. And so men, are you fully aware that you too are dying? And I don't, I don't want that to sound morbid, but that, that's the course that all of us are on. And that our legacy is being etched into the hearts and minds of the people in our circle of influence. 
And so Jacob lived like he, he was dying. The second thing that Jacob did was that he adopted his grandchildren and he blessed them. Look back at verse 21. And it says this, that by faith, or by faith Jacob, when dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. The two boys. Genesis chapter 48 tells us that, that Joseph had two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. And they were born unto Joseph when he lived in Egypt. And it says that Jacob says that I will take them as my own in chapter 48 of Genesis, just like my sons Reuben and Simeon. He will take them unto himself and they shall be mine. Those two boys were precious to Joseph. Does anyone in here, just by a show of hands, know what those two names mean? Ephraim and Manasseh. Do you know? Joseph called the firstborn Manasseh and he said that God made me forget all of my toil. He made me forget everything that I walked through in my father's house. And so he named his son Manasseh and his second son Ephraim. He says that God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What an amazing statement that we see in Scripture. God made Joseph to forget all of his past and he made him fruitful. He made him fruitful. Now I'm keenly aware this morning that today may not be the happiest of days for some of the people sitting in this room. Some of the people watching online. Some of the people that may listen to this in the future. And perhaps it is not a day-to-day of joy, but it is one of regret or sorrow or pain. May I just remind us of something this morning. We have a perfect, loving, heavenly dad. Our, Our kind and our loving heavenly father has adopted those of us who have placed our trust in his life. And Paul said in Romans chapter 8, For we have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, being one of God's children, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God can be your father this morning, whether you've been orphaned, or abused, or abandoned whether you have no relationship with your dad at all, and God will take you in and he will love you. And he will lead you to a change of of heart and a changed life. He gives blessing beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. And so dad, are you blessing your family? Are you blessing your family? Uh, Are you being an example and a mentor and a leader that God has called you to be? I mean, will your family say that you were a blessing when you leave this earth and your legacy is spoken of? What will they say? Which leads us to our third note about Jacob is that he was still actively worshiping God at the end of his life. Look back at verse 21. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship. Bowing in worship. A careful adding of the age of Jacob will reveal to us that he was 147 years old when he died. Yet in his old age, Jacob was still worshiping God. 
What a legacy to leave for your family. What a legacy. Men, do our kids know us as worshipers? Do they, do they think my dad is a worshiper of, of God? Can your kids tell somebody else what your favorite Bible verse is? Or your favorite book of the Bible? Could your kids tell someone else what your favorite hymn or, or worship song is? Could your kids speak to a well-worn Bible? Could they speak of your faithfulness, your testimony? Well, what will your family remember about your worshiping, Dad? Are we leaving a pattern of worship for our wives and our children to follow? Jacob was worshiping at the end of his life. And the last thing is this, that Jacob knew he had to always lean on God. It says that Jacob bowed in worship with his head over his staff. The staff was very significant for Jacob. Do you ever wonder why there are little details in Scripture? Maybe not, and that's totally okay. But do you ever wonder, those of you who are, you know, dive in a little deeper at times in the Word of God, do you ever notice the little details, right? If you know anything about Jacob at all, you know that in the book of Genesis that he wrestled with God. After he stole his brother's birthright, he, he wrestles with God. And as a result of that wrestling match, his leg comes out of joint and it caused him to walk with a limp. He walked with a limp for the remainder of his life. And that staff in Jacob's hand was a constant reminder of that encounter with the Lord. It was a reminder that he always needed to rely on God for God's strength and God's help. I mean, I would imagine that the staff was a pretty important memento for Joseph to hang on to after his dad was gone. And so dads, what are you leaving for your family? Are we leaving behind notes of encouragement? Are we leaving behind cards and, and letters and, and pictures and special souvenirs that will remind your family of the kind of men that you are, that you're thoughtful that you're caring, that you loved them? Will your legacy, will our legacy be marked by faithfulness? Now you may be in here this morning and you may say, well, pastor, my fathering years are past. They're over. No, they're not. No, they're not. It doesn't matter if your child's 18, 25, or 85. Your fathering years are not over. You just have a different role now. You may say, well, what if I never had children? What, what if uh, I, I never had kids? Well, that may be the case, but you could still be a spiritual father and a spiritual mentor to somebody else. Well, you may say, well, I had my chance and I just completely blew it. It's done. It, it's over with. Okay. You can't change your past, but you can change how you live in the present to affect the future. You start right now, today, simply admitting that you have shortcomings. 
Admitting that there are ways in which you fail and you begin to accept responsibility right now. You begin to make course corrections right now and live a Christ-honoring life in front of your wife and your kids. I mean, the church is the place where we find spiritual moms and dads. I, my parents are, were not able to be here this morning and, and though I did not have a great relationship with my father growing up, not at all, um, and I don't say any of these things to speak ill of my father because I love my dad. But I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. I'm 34 years old. And today I have a better relationship than what I could ever, ever fathom to have had when I was a kid. I knew that my dad loved me because he worked so hard to provide for us. We were never without. But my dad was not very affectionate. My dad didn't, I, I don't remember a lot of my dad saying, I love you. I don't remember my dad a lot saying, I'm proud of you, son. I don't remember those things as I look back. And there were men and women in my life that I found in a church that kept me in check when I wanted to cut my dad down or when I, when I wanted to speak ill of my parents because they did something that I didn't agree with or I didn't understand. And those people I see today as spiritual moms and dads and it was their influence and their God-given ability that changed my perspective about my own dad. It made me take a step back and say, though he did things this way, he loved me. He still took care of not just me, but my four sisters and my mom. Was it perfect? No. But my dad displayed faithfulness that I will never forget. Faithfulness to my mom, faithfulness to our family, faithfulness to his job. He displayed faithfulness. He made sure that we got to church. He made sure that we prayed. He displayed these things in church. You may have grown up in, in, a, in a situation where your dad was not present. Whether physically not present or mentally and emotionally not present. But church, the moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust him for salvation, all of that changed. Because you received a perfect heavenly father. And a gift was given to you the moment of salvation. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you have a comforter that's living inside of you. That is a part of that Godhead. As a part and one with God the Father and God the Son. That encourages you. That reminds you of the things that Jesus taught in scripture. And that guides you through them. And so today, we have to realize that the church is a place that we are a part of the family of God. It's the place where we're connected to Christ in everyday moments of life. And today, men, we have heard about the crisis that our country is facing when it comes to fatherhood. We have seen the devastating statistics and consequences of fatherlessness in this society. 
And it's time for men to rise up and take responsibility as the role of father, not just in your own homes, but spiritual fathers here in the church. It's time for us to stop being passive and stop neglecting the people around us. We have to fully understand that our time on this earth is limited and every single moment counts. We have to value the moments and the days that God has given to us and dedicating each one of them to the Lord and seeking His wisdom as, as we live in love. We are to bless our children just as Jacob blessed his kids and grandkids. Our love and our influence can make a significant impact on the lives of the people around us and we must continuously and actively worship God regardless of our age regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstances. Our worship needs to be evident to the people around us. We should have a pattern in which someone can follow. Let us be known as men who love God. Let us be known as men who study the word, who live out our faith in front of our families unashamedly. And finally, we need to lean on God. Just as Jacob leaned on his staff, as a, remind, a reminder of that encounter and a need for divine strength, we should rely on the Lord in every aspect of our lives and display an example of unwavering faith. It's never too late, men. It's never too late to make a change and start living a God-honoring life. And so, men, I'm going to challenge you today to do something I'm going to challenge you to close the gap. I'm going to challenge you to make a difference in the lives of your homes. Because our children and our wives are counting on us. The world needs faithful men. And so will you rise to the challenge and leave a legacy that is marked by faithfulness. And so men, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, right where you're sitting. I want you to stand. Today I'm going to ask of you to make a commitment. I'm going to ask of you to make a commitment to being the men that God has called each and every one of us to be. And that starts in your own personal life. And it can start right here. And this is what I'm, I'm going to like and ask, ask of you to do. For the last 12 months... My wife and I have prayed over and sought the Lord um, on what to, what to give men for Father's Day, just like we did for Mother's Day. And for those of you who are here on Mother's Day, I said, the best gift to give you is not a flower that's going to wilt or a pen that's going to run out and get thrown away or, or a, a bookmark that's going to get wrinkled and ripped and destroyed the best thing that we as your pastor and wife can give to you is the word of God because it's eternal, because it lasts and it doesn't change. And so for the last year, I've been seeking the Lord as to what to speak with you men about for the next week through this devotional. A devotional that I, I hope 
not only will encourage you, but a devotional that will challenge you. I challenge you to observe not only the walk that you're living, but the walk of the godly men that you see in, in your life around you. And then compare that to what Scripture says about how we are to live as godly men and walk in certain ways. Because men, if you don't make a commitment to follow Jesus, and I, I don't mean just saying I'm a Christian, but if you don't make a commitment to following, make, being a disciple of Jesus, then nothing will change, not just in your life, but in your marriages, with your children. You need to set an example this morning, right here, right now, saying, I'm going to commit, I'm, I'm going to take the first step. And so, men, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats now. I'm going to ask you to come here to the front I'm going to have you take one of these and I want you to just stand together right here as men. Yep, yeah, right now. Yeah, absolutely. So men, if you would just kind of gather right here and if you would face the, the crowd out there. You see all those beautiful faces? Right downstairs there is a large group of little blessings. There are some Blessings that are a little older throughout. But every single one of you is and was a blessing. Each and every one of you has a mom and a dad, possibly a wife. Actually, I think out of this whole group up here, you guys are all married, so that's good. The Lord is asking, commanding as men to take steps of faithful obedience and to rise up to the, the position in which God has called you, the spiritual leader of your home. I love women that serve, serve in ministry, serve alongside of me. I've been impacted by a lot of women in ministry. But men, your role starts at home first. And it bleeds over here into this place that we worship together. And so I'm going to pray over you here in just a moment. And this is a commitment right now saying I, I want to do everything that I can to be a faithful man. A man who leaves a legacy of faithfulness to his family. And so men, if you would close your eyes Bow your head, church, if, if you would uh, be praying with me as I pray over these men. God, we come to you this morning and we thank you, God, for this group that is here and even for the men that were unable to be here. 
the, the men who are watching online, who are working, who are sick. God, we, we thank you for men who will stand up to take the call to manly, to manliness, to, to, to biblical manhood, to seek you, to follow you. There's a charge to each and every one of us to, to follow the, the commands of God in Scripture, to display being loving and joy-filled and gentle and faithful. God, I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, use what we've spoken about today. Use this devotion. Use the men standing next to each other right here to encourage one another. I'm reminded back to a verse that was spoken in the prayer room this morning. Iron sharpens iron. And so, God, I'm asking as we get to know each other through church and, and fellowship, that relationships would be developed, that accountability would come as men begin to seek you as your disciples. That we prioritize you first and foremost over making money and having things, God, because we know that out of our relationship with you organically, our love will impact our wives and our children and our community. And so, Holy Spirit, convict us, teach us, guide us, remind us of truth. Let us be unashamed and unafraid to say, I am a man of God, and I love the Lord. Give us a heart that worships you first and foremost. Give us a walk that resembles you, Jesus. And let us rise up to make a, a kingdom impact here in Ionia. Let us pave the way for the broken and the lost young men and, and young women here. For the divorced and the widow, let us pave the way, Lord, for an open door that brings hope to a lost and hurting generation. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen.